share remarks on is from the Gospel of Luke. It's printed in your liturgy. I'm going to read it for us right now if you want to read along. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. And they asked him, teacher, when will this be? And what will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, beware that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and instructions, do not be terrified, for these things must take place, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all of this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds, not to prepare your defense in advance, for I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed, even by parents and siblings, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. This is the word of the Lord, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. So, Jesus and his followers are in Jerusalem. It is Passover. They are walking around. And the disciples look at the temple and its grandeur, and they say, wow. Well, I mean, who can blame them? That temple was something to see. It was built by Herod the Great in about 20 uh, BCE or BC, whichever you prefer. Um, so a few decades before that moment. Uh, it had been rebuilt because it was destroyed once before by the Babylonians. This is what's referred to as the second temple. The wall, it soared. It was around 164 feet in height. And the sides of the temple, they were gold-plated. And I don't mean Miami, Florida gold. Hey, I'm from Florida make fun of my own, right? There is a lot of real gold in Miami, but I don't mean glitzy gold, I don't mean fake gold, I mean real gold. All the sides of the temple plated with. And as good Israelites, like their ancestors before them, they understood that the temple in Jerusalem was the center of the universe. There, one could count on the presence of the God of Abraham, 
Isaac and Jacob, Moses, the prophets. This was Yahweh's temple. This was where Yahweh resided, his abiding presence. So they turn to Jesus and they basically say, wow, this is awesome. This is awesome. Some have wryly suggested that this for the disciples was an Instagram moment. Okay, historical anachronisms aside, they were feeling pretty proud of the temple. And, moreover, I think it's not unlikely that part of their pride in the temple was their pride in Jesus and their hopes that he was there to do something amazing. He was, but not amazing in what they were hoping for. They were expecting him to continue to be in conflict with the religious leadership, to bring about messianic revolution. Some of them were probably thinking there would be blood in the streets. They were thinking this will be the time that Jesus will come into his own. And their image of that was a Messiah like in the Old Testament days, like, or a king like in the Old Testament days, who would come in and kick out the Romans, defeat them, send them packing, Blood was spilled along the way. That's just part of it. Well, this is not the way that Jesus is going to amaze them in Jerusalem, and we all know that. But I think when you think about their reaction to the temple, I think it's probably fair to keep that in view, that they associate Jesus with, with temple renewal, with the renewal of Jerusalem, but Jesus' response to them, as is most often the case in all the Gospels, and the Gospel of Luke is no exception to this, Jesus' response to the disciples is not what they expected. Jesus does not pull out his camera and take a selfie. It is not an Instagram moment for Jesus. It is a moment of mourning and of sadness. Because what Jesus will have to say about the temple is, it's coming down. Its time is over. Its time has passed. What good it did, it's not doing anymore. It's become corrupt. It will be destroyed. And of course, because Jesus is Jesus, and Jesus is the last of the Old Testament prophets, as well as everything else that Jesus is, of course that did happen. In the year 70, Rome routed Jerusalem and in the process made a ruin of the temple. But back to the moment captured before us in our text this morning, I want to just go back into that for just a minute. The disciples are shocked, they're perplexed by this dire prophecy, and they want to know, I mean, it's so human, right? They know what we would all want to know. When is this going to happen? How will we know when it's going to happen? And as usual, Jesus does not offer the answer they're looking for, but the answer that they need, right? 
he redirects their question. He redirects their concerns. Jesus' concern is not in predicting the date of the destruction of the temple. The apocalyptic language before us seems to be beyond that, too. It's not just about the temple, but it's about what the world will be like until Jesus returns and joins this world to the shalom of the world to come. Until then, there will be an upheaval, not only in 70 in Jerusalem, that will shake the faith of God's people, as it hadn't been shaken since the Babylonians carried Israel into exile, but then also for the early church, there will be wars, rumors of wars, and a steady opposition in many quarters to Jesus and the coming of his kingdom. And if we have eyes to see, it is the same for us in our world and in our city. You know, when I, when I sat down to, to work on this homily this past week, I thought to myself, I don't know for sure a lot about what I'm going to say. The one thing I do know for sure is that Jesus' apocalyptic language here reminds me a lot of the news, right? Well, Jesus says to the disciples, basically, I'm not going to tell you when it's going to happen. That's not what's important about this. I'm not going to tell you exactly how to read the signs the way you would like me to, but I am going to tell you that there's a way that you need to live in the world in light of all of this, in light of the way that the world is. Now, in many ways, the book of Acts, which remember Luke also wrote, okay, so it's companion volume, there's Luke, and then there's Acts. In many ways, the book of Acts bears witness to exactly what Jesus is talking about in his apocalyptic and prophetic words to his disciples in that moment. But remember, in Luke Acts, by the time they are written for the, for the church, the temple has already been destroyed. And we see in the book of Acts, Jesus' followers hauled before the authorities, like Jesus is talking about here. We see tensions with Rome, between Rome and the early church that are simmering in the book of Acts. They will later move from simmer to boil as the full-scale persecution of the church comes to pass. So in Acts, we recognize what Jesus is talking about when he's talking to his disciples. And we also recognize the faithfulness of Jesus' followers. They listened that day. And then they abandoned him, and Peter denied knowing him, and Judas betrayed him outright, and the rest of the disciples went into hiding, okay? But after the Jesus is raised from the dead and recommissions them, and the power of the Spirit comes upon the church, and Jesus ascends into heaven and gives all the power to his followers to follow him faithfully, then you see in the book of Acts, they were listening that day, and God kept his promise to supply to them their capacity to bear witness 
in the midst of suffering, in the midst of conflict, in the midst of hopelessness, in the midst of, well, in the midst of the temptation to hopelessness, in the midst, in the midst of the temptation to despair. In Acts, we see Jesus' followers literally doing what Jesus talks about here. Bearing witness before the Roman authorities as they are interrogated and put into prison. And we see God keeping his promise. Jesus gives them words. But we also see in Acts, there is more to bearing witness to Jesus in the midst of a world in travail than words. There's the way in which the Christian community formed around the risen and ascended Jesus Christ bore witness to the gospel simply by being and living into the new humanity that is supplied as a gift from the Spirit. Living into that new humanity, bearing witness to it simply by the way that they live, the way that they are with people for all to see. A new humanity where Jew and Greek were learning to trust and love one another, formerly enemies. A community where women and men are beginning to relate to each other on equal footing in relationships characterized by Christian love and not the exercise and abuse of power. A community that would seek to bless the outsider and those on the margins. Not a perfect community, but a community that gave evidence that they were listening to Jesus and looking for opportunities to bear witness to the gospel in the midst of fear and tribulation. Rather than losing their focus or listening to the naysayers that are always there, slickly offering a way to be a Christian that conveniently dodges the call to suffer with the suffering conveniently dodges the call to love all people, not just the people that you want to love, to conveniently dodge the call, the disciple, to stand against the misuse of power and the like. Sorry, I just need to find my note here. Thankfully, we see examples today of Jesus' followers still seeing scary situations and suffering as an opportunity to bear witness, both in words and in deeds. You know, I thought about this when I read an excerpt in the Sun-Times a few weeks ago. The excerpt um, that I read was a quote from Yolanda Fields, who's the executive director of Breakthrough Urban Ministries. We even sent you that link in the weekly email so we wanted to call attention to it and ask for prayer. Uh, the context for this is um, there was that terrible mass shooting in East Garfield Park on Halloween night, uh, very close to Breakthrough Urban Ministries. For those of you who don't know, We've been partnering for 20 years with, with Breakthrough. Yolanda's preached here before, standing right, right around here. So we know them well. We've done our best and continue to do our best to support them in various ways. So when that shooting happened, 
Yolanda um, was one of the community leaders who was called upon to speak at one of the, um, the events. And this is the excerpt that was printed in the paper. Quote, this is Yolanda. As a community, we are pressed on every side by troubles. We are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but we are never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. End quote. If her words sound like her voice and the voice of Scripture, that's because it is her voice spontaneously responding to a great trial and tribulation with her own words and the Word of God. This is the passage, if it sounds familiar to you, that she appropriated for that moment that she would bear witness. It's from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. The context is he's describing the suffering of Jesus' followers. We have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible. For we who are living are always being handed over to death for Jesus' sake. So the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our mortal flesh. So death is his work in us, but life in you. In offering you Yolanda and Breakthrough as examples of doing what Jesus exhorts his followers to do in the passage that's in front of us this morning, you know, Jesus says, you're asking the wrong question. Don't ask about when this is going to happen but ask about how you should live in the midst of the travail that will be true of the world until this world is joined to the world to come. In presenting Yolanda and Breakthrough as examples of doing what Jesus said to do, I'm not asserting they're perfect heroes and they wouldn't want me to. Or the only ones doing that, they wouldn't want me to do that either. But I talk about them with the familiarity that I do because they're family, they're our partner in ministry, as I mentioned, for about 20 years now. And so it makes sense to put them forward as an example to be followed when pondering how to apply Jesus' words before us this morning. To me, what makes Yolanda's words so powerful in that excerpt that was in the paper and why it's a great example of following Jesus' exhortation here in our passage this morning to rely on the Spirit for the words to bear witness is the fact that her words are joined not just to the words of Scripture, 
but her words are joined to the very community of faith that is Breakthrough Urban Ministries that has been and continues to be a faithful witness to Jesus in the midst of the very trials and travails that Jesus is talking to his disciples about here. The reason her words have power is not just because she effortlessly, well, seemingly effortlessly, but we know through the Spirit, interlaces them on the spot with the words of Scripture, but it's because she's speaking from a place of sacred, holy ground in East Garfield Park where they have done faithfully what Jesus has asked them to do for so many years. So as we think about following Jesus' teaching here this morning, it will do well for us to remember we have this relationship with Breakthrough. It's already made for us to get more involved in and 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 hence follow Jesus' words. I put that out there as a little bit of an advertisement for, so when you hear of an opportunity to support Breakthrough Urban Ministries through volunteering or through giving in some other way, Maybe think about what's special about them. The way that they bear witness to Jesus in the midst of trials and tribulations. And also, this reminds us here at Grace that in a similar way, in our own context, we're called to tend to the vitality of our individual lives in the vitality of our church community as a whole, with an eye to being strong and sturdy, ready and able to bear witness to the good news of the gospel. And if I can glance back at Rob's communion meditation for a minute, when I say strong and sturdy, I don't mean self-sufficient and heroic. I mean strong and sturdy because we confess our weakness before God acknowledging that any treasure we have is in a clay jar so that the surpassing glory and power might be seen to be the Lord at work in our midst. Strong and sturdy in that way so that we can take Jesus' call to be witnesses here and wherever we are in the city in a way that bears witness to the good news of the kingdom. We want to be a new community that is being formed in ways that tend to the needs of the poor and those at the margins, that enable loving relationships between human beings that would otherwise not happen in our society. And we need to be reminded that that community does not happen automatically. That community is formed in prayer and worship. And that's a good reminder to all of us to live more fully and live more faithfully into those practices of prayer and worship and partnering with those who are doing very good work on the margins in our city. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.